Welcome to Olim in Tel Aviv. My name is Ariel. This is my cousin Micha. Join us as we discuss different topics from fatherhood to politics as immigrants in this quirky and amazing country. Well, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank How, you, thank you. How was your weekend? It was good. Uh, intensive, you know. Uh, I'm trying to uh, meet new people, you know, have new experiences. Uh, I think every now and then that's important to do, get new perspectives. Uh, I was at this event and then, uh, so I'm chatting up this guy, we were eating hamburgers, it was wonderful, actually pretty good. And then I was like, yeah, so where are you from? And he was like, yeah, I'm from Tel Aviv. And I was like, oh, nice, me too, where do you live? And uh, he says, I'm living on Root Street. And I was like, how is that possible? I'm living on Esther Market Street. Okay, it's right here on the intersection? Literally, and then he goes, you know this guy, you know this maniac, he said in Hebrew, right? That does these parties on his roof all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know him. <laughs> so at the, at the evening, you know, I get home, and he got home, and then he writes me, Micha, where are you? And I was like, uh, I'm home, go up to the roof. So I went up, and he takes a picture, <laughs> picture of me standing on the roof. Literally, I can see his roof from my roof. So you're the, you're the maniac. I'm that maniac. I'm that maniac, exactly. So a maniac used in a positive sense? Yeah, I mean, sense. I think the first maniac wasn't positive, but the second one definitely When he was. realized he could eventually be invited to the parties? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the very cool thing is that he's, 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 he's a baker. Ooh. And he does this elaborate, uh, very elaborate, um, well, loaves, uh, loaves of bread. Um, also cooks. He has a small garden on top, like a hydrophonic uh, garden. Oh, He's cool. growing, yeah, melon, watermelons, and cucumbers, and uh, and this entire family like uh, squash and you know all these things. Everything that's into cucumber and different kind of variations, I guess. Right, well, the melon is a cucumber, isn't it? But uh, hydroponic so, uh, farming yeah. is optimized for certain types of uh, exactly. produce. So he does that on this, on you know, this old Tel Avivian roof, which is very cool, because you know we're looking around, you see all these old buildings with these deserted roofs often, and he's really and he's really uh, using it to create something beautiful. So that's actually very nice. But you know, I can actually... So now we wave to each other. Uh, good morning style. <laughs> uh, so it's actually fun. Uh, so this way, you know, creating new circles, meeting new people. It's wonderful. That's awesome. And he told me he's brewing beer. Ooh. Like for his own consumption. So that will be interesting. That's cool. I actually tried... Aviv and I tried making our own apple cider once. Um, I think we did it right, but then at the end, getting the cider out of the bottle, we ended up mixing in some of the, like, the dead yeast in there, mm. which kind of created a really bitter taste. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a fail. <laughs> well, but I still, have it. I still have it. I should probably you should try uh, again. I should probably try again. So how would you get the, weast, the, the yeast out first? Just to I think you need out. to just siphon. Oh, siphon. You need to siphon out the cider right? Um, in a way that just doesn't pick up the yeast that usually is dead on the bottom. Right. I mean, you can ask the brewer right you here. You can ask the brewer. I mean, yeah. does he have it? Is huh? this his first run? Or no, no, he he's, doing it quite, run? Yeah, he's, uh, he's doing it quite a while. That's what he said. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we definitely should ask him. Yeah, I will. I was thinking about doing beer also, but just a lot of work. Might as well just go buy beer. Yeah, and the and the thing in Israel with the beer is that the yeast you have an issue of getting real good good yeast. I mean, you're gonna have decent yeast, and it's gonna be fine. But uh, right. you know, to have a very interesting beer, I assume you will have to have 
interesting yeast to it. So for our apple cider, we got like a pasteurizing tablet. Okay. So you you know stick the tablet in that kills all the whatever's mm. in there. It was we bought the apple cider from a farm. Oh no, we didn't. We went apple picking. Oh, we went apple picking. Nice. And we used our juicer. We went through like twenty, yeah, thirty. Like I don't know. It was a crazy number of apples. Um, so it was a really good, app, you know. And then we threw in the champagne yeast. Yeah, also. I love that. I was good. Champagne yeast. So that was um, yeah. supposed to really taste really good. My friend did the exact same recipe, and it tasted great. He actually put in an extra bag of sugar. Well, so it makes sense. Create like increases the alcohol content. Right. Exactly. The the day. Um, well, it was a fun experience. Brewing is always a cool thing. I think it is. You ever think about like how the ancient Mesopotamia, they came up with wine or like ancient Egypt, they came up with beer. So someone left the weed out in the sun and just started bubbling and someone tasted it and got drunk. I was like, hmm, (laughs) that's a good idea. (laughs) So when I was in Rwanda, you know, they... When were you in Rwanda? Yeah, that's now 14 years ago, right? 14 years ago. I uh, worked there with the Adahosa Shalom uh, Youth Village and uh, back then uh, also at the university because they were just creating this uh, genocide memorial um, museum and so we had some connections over there talking about, uh, I talked about uh, uh, remembrance culture of the Holocaust within Jewish communities in Europe uh, compared to Israel which is a little different and obviously they have their own story. Uh, so that was actually very interesting. Uh, anyway, not the not the point of this one. Uh, it was because the first time I tasted banana beer, because that <laughs> is what they're doing there, right? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you just put this on the ground, you know, just leave it out in the open, more or less, you know, uh, to heat up, and then they, they create this very very strong alcoholic, uh, I guess, sort of beer. Um, oh. Very sweet. Uh, very sweet, and it knocked me out quite well. Um, so I only tried it once. <laughs> and then I continued to regular beer. Um, bottled beer. Uh, you know, water also being an issue in Rwanda. So uh, water quality, that is. Anyway, uh, so much for the beer. Growing up, you visit certain communities after Sukkot, and there's always that person who made their home uh, etrog liqueur. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's always nasty. It's just like, it's so bitter, so sour. It's like, it's like I get it, it's like a chavaya, but... Oh. Is it? Well, you know, I like limoncello. Limoncello is much better. It's sweeter, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also probably more professionally made. I'm sure there are yeah, people who yeah. could do etrog liqueur. Well, citron. You know, yeah, well, citron I get, yeah, well, it just adds sugar, I guess, to make it sweeter. I guess. I've never tasted a good one. I shouldn't say that. When I tasted yours, whoever's listening, that was, like, that was the only good one. Ah, nice. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, so the weekend was, was fun. Uh, like I said, I met some new people, and uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's important to widen your horizon, uh, get some different inputs, which is mm-hmm. nice. We, um, when we first moved, there was a couple that we used to hang out with that we used to like, go to each other's houses for Shabbat like, mm. every other week almost. Maybe, like, probably once a month, to be right. honest. But we haven't seen them for a few months. And then we saw them in Big Knesset and decided to do a Sudashli sheet by the Yarkon. It was really nice. We got to catch up with them. I haven't spoken to them a bit. The kids are getting older and it's just cute to see them actually walking and running and playing. And, nice. 
so that that's kind of what we did this weekend. I also pretty much binged the entire season three and season four of Stranger Things, which it's been a really long time since I've like watched TV <laughs> like like that before. Uh, I hear you, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, it was too long, right? The season finale was two and a half hours. Each episode was an hour and 40 minutes in the last yeah, season. Yeah, I think it's too long for that. Um, it was a really great show. I don't know what I would cut out, but like, you could definitely cut a lot of it out. There's a lot of establishment shots that just go a little too long. Mm. Or certain storylines that were just boring. Um, didn't need to be there. Uh, but what I really like about Stranger Things, and I'm not going to go too deep into this, but uh, first of all, we played Dungeons and Dragons. The, they really like leaning into the Dungeons and Dragons themes. Right. Like, they literally named the the villain of this. I realized all the villains that they had, like the Demogorgon in the first season, and they had the Mind Flayers, and then the last season they had Vecna, who was a famous lich in the yeah. <laughs> D&D world. Right. Uh, so they're really leaning into that. And then the, the everyone thinks that the D&D club is, like, doing sat- satanic uh, rituals, which I, you know, I find amusing. Uh, and then they also lean into music very heavily. So they had like music being part of the, not just playing the music that is appropriate for the time period, but also incorporating music into the plot and how the music like affects people and how right. they use it to define themselves and all those different things. And, uh, I really enjoy that. It's, yeah, that's uh, it's really important. Obviously, it speaks to, uh, personally, I guess, to you, but also to me, but uh, to, to a wider audience. I mean, it is ridiculously successful, I assume. Yeah. Even though I haven't seen season three and four yet, I did not have the time. Speaking about not watching TV, no. But I think it's a good segue to a topic this week, which is how do you how to raise kids with good taste? Yeah, so you know, it's uh, <laughs> especially you know, it's coming from music. That's something that's very important to me. So I always played and play and playing at home. Uh, we are listening to music that. I enjoy, so obviously <laughs> that's good taste, isn't it? But uh, so yeah, obviously we try the classics, right? Uh, the more modern classics, I guess. You know, go with Lennon and Bowie and uh, and Queen and uh, Michael Jackson and all those, um, because it was part of my childhood, at least. And I want them, you know, to continue on. And my son really picks it up. Uh, and my daughter being very small still I mean she does sing the songs which is cool oh that's cute uh, and she asks for uh, lately she starts asking also for songs but uh, so you know how do you how do you raise the, a kid with good taste I mean it's an uh, ongoing long process um, and then you know when they come home and they want to hear let's say music that is you know <laughs> <laughs> not in a good taste in my opinion um, <laughs> then what, how do you deal with that right so yeah I guess to take a step back I would love to define what good taste is okay I like that so I was, I was talking to Aviva about this and she was talking about the theory of uh, the golden years okay. have you heard about this no so people like the music that they grew up with because it brings that when they listen to those songs it brings them back to specific memories or associations okay and at a certain point like the golden years end mm-hmm. or maybe they come back and they're just a little different but like for example when i listen to alt rock from the 90s and early aughts 2000s 
uh, and also classic rock that my dad played growing up. My mom also played. Like my mom used in her car had the greatest hits of Queen. I'm like it was we listened to all the time. Good. Um, and so when I listen to the, those songs, I'm like obviously that's like oh this is good music, but. I also don't really think good music ends, <laughs> ended. I think it just ch- music changes. But that idea of the golden years, I, th- I think, is very. Um, it's really uh, what's the word? It's like a strong indicator for a lot of people who are kind of. That's what they listen to. This is what the good music is. Um, so I was thinking a lot about okay, so how am I defining good taste? Good taste is what brings me back to my golden years. So I want my kids to know what my golden years were or really is good taste less about the specific songs or how they approach um, songs or culture, arts, friends, right? Because taste yeah. is not just music. It's no, exactly. taste in film, which is even more important sometimes. Not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, taste in friends and taste in people, you know, the people mm-hmm. you hang out with. Um, right. And also just how you kind of in one way, in some ways, it's almost how you um, present yourself, or you know, to to the world and stuff. It's um, yeah. yeah so that's the rabbit hole. I, I agree. That's exactly. Down. You go, you go, you go <laughs> down there, and it's good because it's important to define these things. And uh, you now I feel, but I think we could both point. agree before I, I take this. But we both agree that um, Bowie and Queen have to be included in good taste. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the Beatles too. <laughs> Probably, yes. Um, so I, I agree. So it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting you say you know having good taste in relationship to the people you um, you hang out with, you choose to be with, um, or choose not to be with. Uh, that's it's very difficult because many, especially growing up, there is only so much control you have about the people, the other kids, uh, for instance, that you are surrounded by all day. You go to a school um, and there's your, there are your classmates, right? You go to a, a soccer club, whatever you play, or whatever you do, or ballet, or whatever it is, and these are the kids that are around you. Uh, so you don't really make that choice. I think later in life you you're more conscious about it. Um, then you do have, you say, okay, this is my friend, and those are not, right? Um, but even within, like, when you have a specific team or, you know, classroom, there are kids you hang out with more than the kids you don't hang out with. Yes, but that, that's true. You hang, with them, you hang out with them more during the time, during the free time. Right. But in fact, you're eight hours in school, and you're surrounded by these other people, Constantly, and you you get influenced by it, obviously. Right. Um, and then it's only a matter of uh, one. The parent, obviously, in a way, has an influence about it because you can more or less decide where you live, more or less decide what school you send your kid to, and which not. So I went I went in a similar direction, which is, you know, we are living in Tel Aviv. We choose to live in Tel Aviv. Right. And part of that is, I think it's an environment we want to raise our kids in. I, I, I love the idea of Edna growing up in Tel Aviv mm-hmm. and being surrounded by such an eclectic uh, 
mm-hmm. group of people. I mean, I that's what really like urban living is. Is you know you're exposed to everything, um, and my per- I personally believe being exposed to everything um, helps develop character um, in, a, in a stronger way because you learn how to define yourself in an undefined group. Exactly, that's actually yeah. where I wanted to go as well, which is very important. It's very interesting <laughs> you're saying that. Uh, you know, I find people, a lot of friends who grew up in, were, you know, not insular, but homogenous uh, societies once they get exposed to a different group or now are thrust into a different group. In America, there's a very big conversation of like, how do we let our kids go to secular college? You know, uh, sorry, the religious community. You know, right. talk about, you know, because kids usually they grow up. The only kids they ever hang out with are other religious kids, either through the big Knesset or the the school. Um, usually, the even the, outs- the extracurriculars are within the religious community, and so you don't really hang out with anyone, you know, like not religious, let alone not Jewish. Right. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Uh, which yeah, and, and like and that's the, the U.S. and there's like you're. You are living in a, in a city, but in, in the end of the day, you are in a very closed-off environment. But I, the way my parents raised me is very much had a you know a lot of different types of people coming to our house, uh, different levels of religiosity. Not all Jewish, obviously, and um, you know summer camp. I remember at four, twelve or fourteen, I went to like non-religious summer camp, and I was the only religious kid there. And to me, that was part of my identity. And so that for me, that it kind of strengthened my you know my Self, self-worth almost I, it, it was a way I, for me to like define myself and be like uh, separate myself from like I don't know I always wanted to like stick out a little bit and so I had long hair in high school you know um, <laughs> so being religious was also part of that it was almost like rebellious and not following the crowd type of thing okay that's interesting and it's very important uh, yeah. you think that if you can manage that and if you have enough confidence, I guess, as a parent in first in your own identity and then also in, in your kid, that you have a strong home that is very clear about its, uh, uh, its identity and its stand on, on, on things and that you let your child also experience other things um, and consciously talk to him or her about it, that, you know, this is, they do it this way, we do it differently. And give them the chance to experience, I think that forms a lot of character. And I think uh, now if we try to put this into good taste or not, but what it at the end of the day comes down to is creating a sense of self and self-worth uh, for, for the child, which then I assume will or can at least translate into the ability to have good taste in, in the sense that you can that you can decide for yourself what is good for you because it's such a right so i think to go back to what word. what are we defi- defining as good taste yeah um, i i think good taste is more is more of an approach to culture and life than mm-hmm. than actual specific content um, like if my kid was really into I'm trying to think of, I don't know I like different types of music but um, you know people who like classic rock tend to not like rap I don't know maybe okay let's, let's say we're creating this person right um, and I asked someone like oh why do you like classic rock 
was like, well, it has riffs and the lyrics and all these different things. And I was like, well, have you ever listened to, you know, Juicy by, you know, Notorious B.I.G.? I'm like, no, of course not. It's rap. I was like, well, listen to the lyrics, listen to the beats, listen to the, the you know, the riffs. It's, right. it's good stuff. You know, <laughs> it's it's catchy. It has like a, there's a certain level of a, um, visceral like emotion in the, that type of stuff. And mm. am I saying, you know, and I really, I really like, uh, you know, Notorious B.I.G. because of that aspect of it. And so what I find is not the, the specific genre of music. You say the same thing about Kendrick Lamar, by the way. I don't know if you ever listened to Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, I did. Like... You know, that's interesting because, you know, <laughs> we, we started out speaking about what, what, what good taste is in terms of music and if there is good music today or not, uh, there is. But, uh, <laughs> side note, uh, but there is a certain type of musicianship that I think one could possibly define as, you know, good music, these songs that last for generations. And they speak they speak to so many people and I think that you can find certain aspects of uh, how the music is played how it is uh, arranged right yeah. that, that would translate into something that is yeah like one of my favorite good. albums from last summer I think it's last summer at this point but Billie Eilish's latest album which right. is like those songs is there's so much that goes into it it's not just the lyrics of you know, someone who's speaking, uh, like, it's kind of speaking about a certain topic in a very visceral way, but also the chord there, there's musically, it's interesting, right? So different types of chords, there are different types of um, the orchestration, you could say, mm -hmm. um, the use of guitar and bass, and maybe there's some synth or you know, voiceovers and all those different types of things. Um, but what I like about it is not that it's just like, that I find I just find the music interesting. I could engage with it in a way that's more than just like the, you know, have you heard of like that um, four chords of awesome? I think it's called like four chords of awesome or whatever. It's just like these four chords that pretty much every single song follow, and a lot of those songs are very uninteresting. It's right. just like here's the formula to write a top hit, um, and then you have someone like Billie Eilish who's totally not following that mm -hmm. that structure at all. Is actually doing very weird and avant-garde stuff with music, yet it's also hitting top charts. Right. Um, and then you have songs like uh, "Running Up That Hill" by Kate Bush from the 1978, which is now hit number one because it features heavily in Stranger Things. She is <laughs> uh, now the officially the oldest person to have a, a number one hit. Really? Yeah, at the age of 63. Wow, that's uh, well, that's quite something, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, at least odd. that's what I read this morning, yeah, whether it's or not odd. it's true. <laughs> I don't know which chart <laughs> that, that it's true for. <laughs> um, and that's also like a weird avant-garde-ish song. That's not a typical, I mean, you can get into the details of how that song is structured and the, the, the notes that, what, the hook, you know, I don't know if you know, do you know the song? No, but I would, just, no, but I would <laughs> assume that it's the show, you know, that people... No, of course the show yeah. exposes it, but it doesn't mean yeah. it has to become a number one hit song. Metallica is a master of puppets is also featured heavily. I don't know if it's going to hit number one. Um, it's a seven minutes, master of puppets is seven <laughs> and a half minute long metal epic. I mean, it's not, right. <laughs> it's not, it's not necessarily pop music, but no, that's interesting. It really is. So, you know, we come back to, to, to raising our children in a way that enables them to, to have this approach to, to society and culture, and interpersonal relations uh it's 
it's not easy. I mean, I'm personally trying to expose uh, my children to different experiences, different people. Um, you know, it's funny that you say in Israel that, you know, we choose to live in Tel Aviv because I assume actually that Tel Aviv is the most diverse uh, city in this country. Right? And you have all sorts of different characters and groups and ways of life. On the 10-minute walk from my place to your place, I hear seven languages. <laughs> Always. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, this area particularly has a lot of that influence, right? But then me growing up in, uh, in Germany, especially in Frankfurt, you know, you have even more so. And you in New York, I mean, I don't have to tell you that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in Israel, we don't have that much of uh, a felt Far Eastern influence or more Oriental kind of uh, influence. We have, you know, Jewish Orientals <laughs> or North Africans. Or, no, I'm uh, not sure if that term is yeah. uh, appropriate. appropriate or no, no, I'm, I'm getting canceled right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, they come from the Orient, I guess. It's not appropriate anymore. Um, you know, but I grew up with, in my class with people from, from Turkey and from Pakistan and uh, from Morocco and the, Iran and uh, from Japan and you had Koreans in my, in my class and you know there was there was and Europeans of sorts uh, whatever they were came from uh, even from the from the Balkans uh, Poland obviously a lot and Romania but you know it's uh, so there's so much more of diversity uh, that they could experience right. and actually I talked to a friend that is now leaving Israel for uh, his job and uh, he's going back to Frankfurt and he was very excited about his children on the playground, particularly because it's going to be in a Jewish, uh, Jewish school. Again, very closed-off group, like you said. But at least outside, he's going to be exposed to a lot of very different kind of people, right. uh, which is exciting. And I hope, this is, uh, I hope to show this my children as well, to expose them to more than just... So my style. another thing that Aviva mentioned to me, I was like, uh, well, first of all, she said this, we're going to sound really um, snobby by talking about what's good taste. <laughs> I don't think, and I, I don't think, I don't think we come off as snobby because I, I think the idea that is about how to, it's like, like, exactly, it's not the content itself, right? If we were going to say, this is good taste, this is bad taste, I think yeah, that's... Obviously, it's, it's Bach. <laughs> and Bowie. Bach and Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, no. Uh, but, you know, the approach, uh, but I think being able to travel, I think, helps develop good, I mean, mm. exposes you to different ideas, different cultures, really. I mean, when I went to Growing up, we, we traveled to the Caribbean, so you got to see different type of life, different type of world. And then going, we used to travel to Israel, which was also different than New York, obviously. Even within the U.S., we used to do travel around the country. We'd do road trips through the Midwest, down the, the eastern coast, the west coast. I mean, it's, the U.S. is so many different countries right. in addition to one. It's, like, it's actually a crazy science experiment. Um, <laughs> I, you know, funny you say that, actually, yesterday... <laughs> And uh, five hours, I actually did rest uh, yesterday. I, uh, I watched Hamilton. You know, I, listened, I listened to Hamilton, the soundtrack. the soundtrack, all the time for a long time. And now it, it's on Disney Plus. I didn't know it, but it, oh, know, the, they, they, they played. Oh, so, uh, With Lin-Manuel? Yeah. Oh, awesome. So I, so I watched it. 
<laughs> and you talk about this experiment that is the United States. Exactly. I mean, it's. Uh, oh, what a good show. That yeah. show is just wild. It is. It is. Um, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I never had the chance to see it uh, on Broadway, but uh, now seeing it on, uh, on the screen, filmed uh, in the theater. Um, which uh, it was very, very exciting. And to see this happening, uh, thinking about how, th how these kind of people really created something new and, you know, good taste. Like then they, many people would have said to me, you know, what is good taste? You know, I mean, uh, these all kinds of different ideas they had, they were outlandish. I mean, it's, uh, so I'm trying to, really understand, you know, exposing my child to different in influences, you know, uh, in a way, when we talk about Hamilton, it's these foreigners that came to America. Just, uh, I, I think also, it, like, deserves like an entire conversation, Marquis de Lafayette. Exactly. Who, what type of individual it was the Marquis de Lafayette? Like, whoa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean what, what a crazy... I mean, all of them also are just just these wild characters, but they changed the world with their these just person. They're just these personalities. personalities. They're just yeah, the intellect. Yeah, I don't know. It, unbelievable. It really is. It yeah. really is. So, trying to. I think at the end of the day, if you can, if you can teach your kid to have an open mind and, and know who themselves, who they are, themselves. Uh, at least in terms of uh, their morality, I think, above all, and uh, their approaches to new things. I think you're in a good, you're in a good way to teach your kid. Right. Yeah. At a certain point, you know, you want, you want to expose your kid to what you think is obviously, now, now we're talking about content, but like you want to expose your kid to, to what you think is interesting and cool and things like that. Like my dad definitely raised us um, watching like Tarantino films and um, Monty Python, and mm. I love that. I mean, that the fact that that stuff is just like I actually quoted a Monty Python, um, Dennis the Peasant. There's <laughs> um, a group. They're like, "How are we moving forward? With this who's taking control?" And I was like, "Oh, it's obviously we're doing a Sindo anarchist uh, commune where we're going to kind of take weekly turns being this like executive and officer type." A role, and then we'll try to present ideas that have to be ratified by a bi-weekly special committee for internal affairs. But you know, for you know. <laughs> and then I kept it going, um, and I don't know if ever anyone picked up on it. I assume and I, and they, they did not. And then they kind of responded like, "Thank you, Ariel, but let's try to keep this." Uh, <laughs> I guess they missed serious. your point. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, you know. I think it was kind of fun. But it's, you know, it's interesting because when you, the, the, I mean, these people, like Monty Python and, all, <laughs> you know, I talked about Douglas Evans just before, uh, and they're genius, yeah. right? And they're these outlying geniuses that just... Which goes to my question, which is kitsch versus avant-garde. Okay. Right. Ooh. Which, which is, like, it's important. And also, you know, kitsch versus avant-garde, and to, to define the terms, like, kitsch is, you know, when you used to... I majored in art history, so the definition of kitsch was Norman Rockwell, who used to paint these like people just sitting happy and home eating dinner, and it was just like these happy uh, people, home scenes, family scenes, and then like avant-garde is 
like Picasso's weird faces and like, mm. you know, something that just totally breaks the boundaries. Um, and so kitsch in the, in the music terms, right? Kitsch is, you know, your the typical, you know, top 10, what's, you know, the, the hits of today that everyone's telling you is a hit. And so it becomes a hit because someone told you it's a hit. Usually these are like right. mass produced, uh, I don't know if you know, but like you look at a lot of like the songs, like if you look at, um, what's his name? Oh my gosh. Bieber. Um, Justin. Justin, thank you. <laughs> Justin Bieber's uh, like top songs. You look at the writers, there's like 10, 15 writers on these songs because what they do is they're basically collecting data. It's actually very cool. They collect data on like what songs are really good and they try to def- figure out what are those like moments in the songs that create catchy hooks or popular songs and then they basically Frankenstein monster these like songs together and then you kind of produce these and then they you know, put Justin Bieber on top of it and that's how right. he produced the stuff at um, least the more recent stuff yeah more, I mean yeah, obviously that's, that's like started out. Yeah. that's not how we started out obviously yeah. right uh, but that's like a lot of how pop music works and you have mm-hmm. these big labels who are just producing these like cookie cut quote unquote right um types of uh, songs it comes back to our four chords and all these songs are made from uh, by the way those four chords are different depending on which country you're from which is also really oh, cool that's, that's interesting so like the, like in the US it's like a, a 1645 <laughs> <laughs> but if you go to like Japan it's like a 1634 it's a very it's a different feel so you could like actually okay. that's an interesting that's a whole other conversation um but in the end of the day, it's still the same ideas. There's just, you know, what those core progressions are. Um, mm-hmm. Depends culturally, but the avant-garde in music would be, you know, I would actually would have considered Billie Eilish to be avant-garde, but um, there's trap music, you know, like dubstep, um, some weird stuff going on in the rock scene. Uh, I don't know, the jazz, the New York jazz scene is like very avant-garde. That's obviously like, I, I, would, I would say like New York jazz scene is, or I don't know, probably any world's jazz season, I just know the New York one, um, would be what I would call avant-garde. So, and also film, right? So, mm-hmm. kitsch film, Marvel films. Yeah. Um, avant-garde could be, well, we can call them art house films, right? Um, so, yeah, what's your feeling around that? Uh, um, well, you know, it's, uh, I think both things are, are equally important, right? Because I'm... Uh, you know, I had always my conversation, actually with my grandparents, uh, maternal, that uh, there in a sense, we're always, uh, you know, it was, uh, my grandfather also was uh, Minister of Culture for Berlin for, for many years and all kinds of things. So he was always in the, this high culture, you know, the theater and the opera and, uh, and the arts. I was always around. So was the high culture in Berlin avant-garde though? So it's interesting because the high culture wasn't, because it was more of this academic, right? Um, But in Berlin itself, there was a lot of avant-garde music going on, right? I mean, it's funny to say, you know, even especially growing up in Germany, actually, I talked about about it yesterday uh, over a wonderful glass of wine uh, next to the Kaumel market. Um, (laughs) That was part of the Shabbat that I did not rest. Um, (laughs) But, you know... We talked about techno music, right? Yeah, and how it grew, how it grew up in Germany, more or less. It came out because of this idea to to, to break boundaries, and uh, it. I think it it actually, for at least in my book, 
uh, is part of and was at least an avant-garde movement that was just okay I think everything that's going on right now we have to break the rules we have would to. you include Depeche Mode huh? in that? Depeche Mode yeah actually good idea I haven't thought about Depeche Mode I mean I very enjoy it. actually enjoy they're the from Germany right yeah, yeah. so I very much enjoy that uh, it's an interesting idea but there was a lot of glam like uh, I think coming out of uh, glam rock and then going into the synthesizers later um a lot of things that Aviv Geffen is using in his more modern songs that come out of this 90s Germany kind of feel um, with the more electronic vibes. Um, so, you know, I find it very interesting. And I think I talked to my grandparents about it because they, were, they loved all culture and everything and reading and history. And, but sports, sports was, you know, no go. Like, <laughs> and I feel even if it might be kitschy in a way, right? Because it's uh, always the same idea. Um, it speaks to the masses and it really has, a, has an idea to, behind it and a purpose too. You know, sometimes you have to keep the people, uh, well, happy, you know? Present them a happy picture of a happy family because sometimes they need that. And you can't always... It's so funny you bring up sports because I'm, I think, very similar to what your grandparents. It's like, I was inter inter interested in all this stuff except for sports. And to the point where I didn't even think about talking about it, which is why I haven't mentioned it. Cause uh -huh. It's like, no, it was, it's not even my, my answer, which is funny because, like, my wife's on a national sports team. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's part of our culture. Yeah. So you can't deny that. It's just as important and it might even, uh, just as important, I would assume, uh, than music and others. So it's part of uh, what defines them. Sometimes it takes over so much and I'm, I'm really... Uh, you know, I have a big issue with these TV shows that focus not sp sport events, right? I would say, at least how I define it. But uh, these glorification of uh, of like these ninja kind of things going on. You know, ninja uh, Israel. Ninja warrior. No, yeah, ninja warrior in America, right? That's yeah. what it's called in Israel. It's called ninja Israel. Um, so you don't. Like I, that? I, I don't like the show about it. You know, if there would be an an open competition in a way and it's very it's very weird weird because it, how would that differ in from the US it is an open competition yeah. I mean you qualify for the competition and you compete you compete yeah but I feel at least from from, from my perspective which is probably completely wrong right <laughs> it's they so much in the TV show they put so much emotion on the on the different characters it's like watching American Idol, where you know oh, yeah, from the, the beginning, story, from the journey. beginning, if they started, you know, if you have this interview before they start singing, you know, okay, this one is going to pass because they have already invested so much in the production of it. And the same somehow have, have the feeling about this ninja thing. Um, whereas when you watch a tennis match, they don't talk about that, you know, now Djokovic and he lost his son and uh, he didn't. But, uh, you know, uh, he had... I was like, what? No, I heard that story. No, or this newcomer in tennis, right? He was like, uh, I don't know, a poor guy from the streets of, uh, I don't know, Minnesota. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. No one is talking about it. So that's how I feel that the sports is much more... Uh, the focus um, and I appreciate that and, but if, if they start out doing these kind of glorification of uh, of a person I don't know it doesn't speak to me that much uh, that's so kitschy 
I think. Yeah, no, it turns it. It's okay. That's interesting. I was, I was wondering, like, what? How would you define kitsch and avant-garde in sports? Um, I mean, I personally like. Uh, there's a another genre called sports entertainment. Yeah. Which is scripted sports, uh, also known as professional wrestling, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. which has elements of kitsch and avant-garde. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and and. It, WWE, I think, is probably in the more kitsch uh, promotion, as you call different uh, wrestling uh, companies. They're called promotions. They have right. you know, a certain roster of wrestlers. They have different storylines. But uh, over the last few years, you had a storyline of uh, a wrestler who went by The Fiend. And The Fiend um, didn't really stay in the ring so much. But <laughs> it sounds hilarious when I talk about it, but it, like, he did psychological warfare on all the other wrestlers by creating these like little horror snippets um and in wrestlemania 2020 i want to say um it was the beginning of covid and and wwe had to figure out how do we have an entertaining wrestlemania with no audiences and with covid uh, restrictions and so what they did was they filmed this this clip which I think was nominated for an Emmy or something because it was just it was, it was real art house it was The Fiend versus John Cena where The Fiend went through John Cena's and it was all like it wasn't live it was all pre, pre-taped and it was the, the Fiend presenting John Cena with all his like major losses or downfalls throughout his career as a wrestler and then you know creating like created this weird surrealist a video it was like i mean like john cena fighting john cena at certain points and it was like choking himself out while like doing weird dances and he couldn't see himself it was like a <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> this whole thing and it's like but it was very entertaining because you you know there is some wrestling moves going on in this thing but there it's a story it's a story about these characters and they're like, going forward and then they also um there are there are they are athletes and they are doing these performances, but it's a it's different because it's all about you know in, in wrestling it is about the character and and the the, the action. Uh, well, Ninja Warrior seems like they're just trying to monopolize on the you know the characters or try to create a story to give this like emotional appeal to it. Is that what? Maybe I think that's it. it might well, be because of that. Is, I don't think they always win. You know, sometimes you have these real sob stories and they just, like, drop on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Slip and fall, I yeah. guess. Well, I assume uh, I assume they do yeah. at, at times. But still, I, I assume that the production firm, uh, they, they focus, they focus on, on the winner. Right. So. Or at least, at, you know, the two, three that actually have a real shot at it. Um, so I think they used to do it live. So when they have it live, you know, it's they, different. Yeah, it, it is different. I, I, I don't know. I'm not so against. I think it would be cool. I think people, more people, would probably watch tennis if they had those uh, people's stories and how they got there, and then see that you get more emotionally involved with the, you think? the athletes. I don't know. It could be cool. Obviously, it would have to live. The matches still have to be live, so it's not like you're creating the content based off of the winner, because um, that's less fun. Yeah. Right. That's like you're creating everyone to go for the winner. Hmm. As opposed to, you know, here are these two stories. These people are now meeting in the 
on the, I don't know, on the court. On the court. Um, in the ring. <laughs> uh, sort of. Right. So on the court. I don't know. It'd be interesting. It, obviously, it, it does change what sports is about, which is, it's not about the story, how they got. I mean, is it though? No, it's about the athletic ability, one, and obviously about a person's determination, right. focus, and... Uh, ability to execute on the spot yeah Yeah, which is brilliant I mean uh, I know they've tried it in Formula 1 to do much more uh, content behind the person especially with uh, with uh, with, uh, Hamilton again Hamilton Um, you know the well most successful driver maybe in Formula 1 history but at least in the last two decades after Michael Schumacher Um, but um, a very different kind of persons obviously but they tried to create some kind of this emotional narrative behind him and then he you know became a political activist which uh, I find uh, it's always difficult when you try to match that but at the end of the day he had a forum and why wouldn't he speak out right same way that John Lennon did in a way Uh, he had his uh, had his place and he started speaking Leonardo DiCaprio at the Oscars (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's uh, always, uh, always. Uh, I had an ambivalent uh, uh, reaction to it. Uh, it, it in all of these different moments, when you know a person that is, you know, a great athlete or uh, a great singer or a great uh, actor starts speaking politics, uh, you're ambivalent. Huh? I know my reaction was ambivalent. It was like, you know, who's that guy to do and speak about it? But then again, why isn't? Why? Why shouldn't he? We do. I guess. Right. <laughs> um, um, is he more informed or less informed? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating because I never thought of my reaction as ambivalent. I always thought of it as like, we're giving you an award for acting. Like, say thank you. And that's that. So like, yeah, but then again, why wouldn't he use the platform? I, now that you put it that way, it's because no one really... I mean, I personally just don't care about his personal politics. I don't watch Leonardo I, DiCaprio. I agree because of his politics. I, and did you? Did, I mean, you know, going back to Lennon, uh, is you know he was famous for his music, right? And he spoke the truth in his music, and it was you know it's fantastic. But you know, then he started start speaking politics because he was you know, a, you know give peace a chance. Music is a little different because you feel they're ready because he's writing it. He's writing the music. You're you're. When you're listening to Lennon, you're mm-hmm. saying, I like listening to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. When I'm watching, you know, DiCaprio act, by the way, I have a very love-hate relationship. It's more, I don't like DiCaprio's <laughs> acting. Uh, I think in recent years, he's been very good. I agree. In Tarantino films. Completely agree with you. <laughs> and besides the Tarantino films, I don't really, oh, what eating, what's eating Gilbert Grape? I think he's also good in. Uh, um, but <laughs> the recent, the recent things. Are really the recent things he does is good. I haven't seen The Revenant, though, uh, which is what he won the award for. Leo aside um, Leo's portraying a character I'm watching him do a craft and the craft is not really what he has to say but well how well can he um, channel this character Mm -hmm. right which is a certain skill that he has but that skill is not related to his personal voice it's actually almost the opposite it's how little of Leo can I see in this character I agree take yourself when you watch Tom Hanks in a movie you're not watching Tom Hanks in a movie. You're watching a bunch of movies that happens to have Tom Hanks in it. But like, 
the characters that Tom Hanks plays are not Tom Hanks. They are whatever those characters are. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis, I think, is probably the best example of that, right? You don't even, people don't even know that Daniel Day-Lewis is Lincoln and the guy in Phantom Thread and the guy in Last of the Mohicans. Because like, he's what? dead good. Yeah. Because he's not Daniel Day-Lewis in any of those movies. It's whoever that character is. I mean, right. it's, that guy's ridiculous. <laughs> but again, like, do I care what Daniel Day-Lewis personally has to say? No, but I do look... I mean, he's an amazing actor. You recognize him for that. It's different with songwriters. Okay. Songwriters, they're writing from... It's their voice, right? At uh, assuming, that, assuming the ones that are, they're yeah, writing their own songs. Exactly. Uh, and, the, you know, and same thing with athletes. Like, athletes, I'm watching them do a sport. I don't know if it has to do with their voice mm-hmm. or their opinions. It's <laughs> interesting. But they do have them, right? So oh, then yeah, they obviously. have a platform. And, and, you know, right. But now, when's the appropriate... You know, if Leo started tweeting mm. all his beliefs and, you know, that's the platform people are following him for his tweets, I think that's one thing. But when you're given an award for a certain, like, the Oscars... You say at that moment you shouldn't do it. That's like, you know, especially, you know, I feel like that, that movie was made for him to try to, get, to try to get him an Oscar because he hasn't got... You know, I think the Titanic, I don't know how many... It was, like, nominated for... They won everything uh, but everything him. Every, everyone there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Like 11, I don't know what yeah. it was. Uh, and by the way, uh, rightfully so. I mean, yeah, 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 no, he didn't deserve it. I was like, he plays the same character in Inception and Aviator and Titanic. I don't know. I feel like it's the same character. Shutter Island. <laughs> it's angry face. Now he's good. Yeah, you know, yeah, he is. Yeah, I like I mean, him now. What was the, the I, I relate to it now. What's Upon a Time in Hollywood? That was good. Yeah, that was really good. I can relate to his, that. His, his, he was really good in that. I mean, everything had Brad Pitt next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't know. But still, Brad, uh, Brad Pitt. <laughs> watching Brad Pitt walk across a field for a half hour was one of the most entertaining things I've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> literally just walking and looking at people and you're just entertained yeah. mean, that's, that's I don't know I still like him in Inglorious Bastards I don't know I mean that too yeah. Buongiorno I mean come on like I, I said third best Italian <laughs> brilliant um, well it's, it's funny how much it? of that is in Tar- is Tarantino versus I mean, 99% <laughs> I think but still still you know, yeah funny enough Tarantino you know it's funny to see him around here in the bars and stuff, sitting next to him. You know, it's, it's fun. Um, <laughs> next time I'll call you. I'll yeah. say, hey, here, come. <laughs> the, but I think what we're talking about, you know, we're yeah. talking about these things that we like. Yeah. But what makes these things good is because we're able to, well, why, why do we think, you know, well, what is, we're basically exposing our taste right now. Yeah, right? absolutely. We're talking, this is like, oh, well, now, we, yeah. okay, fine, but... You know, I think, I think uh, for me at least, I, I had the chance to be exposed to very, very different things in, uh, when I grew up, uh, different tastes, different peoples. There was a general openness about my household, about, you know, everyone that came was welcome, um, you know, within certain boundaries of behavior, I guess, you know, uh, violence was not, a, not acceptable in the house. You know, in any way, not in speech, you know, in, uh, even though speech, I mean, but speech and violence. Yeah. Violent movies. Huh? Oh, well, you know, funny enough, uh, my, my, my most, uh, one of my very vivid childhood memories, uh, 
horrific ones is, uh, and I'm still afraid of clowns, is that when I was a small boy, relatively small, I would assume, my older siblings, we all watched It together. The one with um, Tim Curry? Well, the original one. Yeah, that's Tim Curry, right? No. I think uh, I, I can't I can't speak I don't even remember you can look it up, but uh, the original one. Yeah, uh, that's horrifying. And I was you know talking about violence you know I mean uh, um, so that was around, um, but uh, you know it wasn't acceptable by a person being in the household or in in our house as a guest to be in any way violent. Uh, or aggressive even right and behavior and behavior um, but violence you know obviously was part of it uh, also in pictures and uh, you know especially family history you have a lot of violence uh, from the from the second world war and the Shoah and um, so that was around but not uh, not in behavioral wise, not behavioral wise um, so I got lucky that I was exposed to all that and I could relate which Directly speaks until today to to many 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 different things. Which you know, I always define myself as very eclectic in my taste. I don't know if it's good or not, but it is. Uh, uh, I appreciate fashion and arts and music and movies and sports and uh, different kind of thought experiments and philosophies of various kinds. Um, so and food, <laughs> literal taste. Um, but I think that's really what it comes down to. If you can give your child the opportunity to have this openness regarding everything and anything. I think there's opportunity and also tools. Right? Yeah. There's, okay. And this is, I think, where maybe I get a little snobby. <laughs> um, to me, it's like almost not good enough to just like enjoy music. Mm-hmm. Like I could listen to songs, like oh that's a good song, but I, like why is that a good song? Okay, right. I, if I don't, same thing with the movie, right? Why did I enjoy this movie? Mm-hmm. What, what about this movie that I really enjoyed? It's also like why I liked the first few phases of Marvel films, but this last phase I actually fell asleep in every single one except for the Spider-Man movie. Right? Right. Even in the final, like I almost made it through the whole movie, and then it was like the final battle I fell asleep because I don't know, it, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't new anymore. It wasn't. It was just it was generic. Of, yeah. It became it became so generic and uninteresting that they were just like, "Oh, let's play a nostalgia card now." Okay, now let's play a "Have you watched my TV show and my seven movies?" Um, card, and I'm like, "Okay, I, I'm used to that now." Right. It kind of lost its little flavor. Um, I don't know. Same thing with art. You know, why why does this painting look good? Why does a uh, with sports? I need to kind of figure that out. <laughs> or not which is okay as well right so right. I uh, I do enjoy the escapism of it yeah. it really enables me at least to you know focus on that and uh, not on anything else I think that's one of the main purposes of mass sports really but um, you know bread and games uh, they did that in ancient Rome and it worked why wouldn't it work today um, I feel like there's a real dark side to that comment. <laughs> we must we must keep the crowds and the happy. More sports. Yeah. New stadium for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're laughing. I think that it's very true. I know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just keeps on working. Um, but so you know, it's uh, 
the tools are interesting because how could you teaching the tools which ones really I mean understanding music is something that's very particular it's not about only enjoying it but then understanding uh, how it is hearing only from the music to I guess there's it, a balance right I don't need my kid to be a musical genius right not that I am I don't think I am <laughs> <laughs> I uh, but like why do they like the song oh I like the lyrics why do I like the lyrics okay oh I like that riff or like that like it just feels cool it has this emotional attachment to it like I don't need someone to go and again, now it's speaking like, I need, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't expect anyone to go deeper than that. Right. But like when I say, why do you like the song? It's like, I really like that riff. It's, I just find mm -hmm. it very compelling. To me, that's like, okay, cool. That's a, mm -hmm. you, have, you have taste. Or it's like, because it's I like the song because my friends told me, you know, it's good. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So that's an, yeah. You can say good. my friend exposed to me song and I really agree with them because XYZ. Okay. I have no reason of my friends introducing the music, but... So you feel that, you know, good taste always comes down at the end of the day of an expression of yourself. And right. what, you, what you can find yourself in, in whatever it is you enjoy or not. Yeah, I, I guess Eden's really in this phase right now. It's like, why do you want to do this? Oh, because so-and-so in my class is doing this, and mm. I want to do it too. And I find that like, ugh. <laughs> like, it's like, so... Well, you can follow up on that question right? and that comment rather yeah. and say, okay, so he, she is doing that. And um, why, do you, why do you feel that you want to do that? I don't know. <laughs> A three-year-old can go more than that. Well, no, maybe not. But, you know, but I, do, I do try to point out to her when people try to copy her mm -hmm. so that she knows that her own decisions and behaviors are also impactful to others. Right. Um, for an inspiring way and also as like a check mm. um, I mean that's why my intentions are I'm not, really, goes I'm also not explicit like in that uh, and she says I don't want her to copy me I was like well you know maybe she thinks you're cool <laughs> but it also goes obviously into the negative emotions as well I think it's something to also project to your child is, uh, you know when you get angry usually the other side will as well if you get aggressive in your tone and your uh, you know, the other side will as well. Yeah. Uh, so, and also in the good way, you know. You come there with a big smile and say hello, people will respond accordingly, most of the time. Yeah, you know. So, uh, they do. You can't win them all. No, you don't have to. <laughs> you just have to win yourself. Oh. Uh, uh, that's good. It's very true, too. It's very true. All right. It's something I learn more and more. Well, uh, thank you. Well, thank you. It's been, uh, the, the, that one is difficult. Yeah. Wow. I'm enjoying it. <laughs>